Our next talk is being delivered via video. So I get these things correct now because I checked. Um, it's, it's actually one o'clock in the morning. So uh, Jonathan is in, is in Europe. Um, he has recorded his talk and we're going to play it for you. Um, that was a little detail that I missed when I was scheduling the talks. And I managed to find the perfect time for him not, be, not to be able to present um, when, I was, when I was scheduling things. I wasn't looking at where people are in the world. Um, I, I, I stuff up one every time. Anyway, um, let's, let's hear from Jonathan. Thank you very much. We're going to start with a cold open and then jump straight into some big numbers. In August of 2021, over 4 million people in the U.S. left their jobs. But that's dwarfed by the 20 million people who left their jobs between April and August of the same year. 54% of U.S.-based Gen Z workers are actively considering new jobs. And it's not just a phenomenon in the U.S. Over 40% of global workers are thinking the same. We're in the midst of the Great Resignation, especially in tech. People are leaving their jobs like never before, due to factors like burnout, a misalignment in values, mistreatment, systemic racism and sexism, underpaying vulnerable and marginalized groups of people, and more. But due to COVID-19, the Great Resignation also coincides with the remote jobs boom. And this means that many people working in tech have more choice in their next employer than ever before. Especially in the face of recent layoffs, the ability to work remotely gives workers more leverage than they'd have otherwise. Plus, the pandemic has shifted many real-world physical services to go online, and this has accelerated in the growth of product companies. But in order to continue growing and achieving those missions, these companies will need to hire more people in the next two years than they did in the past ten. So, how will you hire them? There's never been this many people with this much power and leverage being sought out by this many potential employers all at the same time. How will you stand out? How will you speak to their very real needs? And why should people choose to join your team instead of all of the others out there? That's what this talk is about. Transparent recruiting is a new approach to working with candidates to earn their attention and build their confidence by being radically open with them. I'm Jonathan Coleman, a senior design manager at HubSpot in Dublin, Ireland, and I'm so sorry that I can't join you live today, but I have a good excuse. It's because I'm sleeping. It's midnight here. <laughs> in this talk, I'll walk you through the strategy I developed to hire 16 designers in five months with just myself and a single recruiting partner. I'll also show you examples from other companies all over the world that support the principles of this talk. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at jcoleman. Please reach out if you've got any questions or need more information. And there's no need to take notes or write anything down during this talk. You can find my slides, video, and the nearly 40 resources and examples I mention all in one place, transparentrecruiting.com. So here's our core theme. And if you take away nothing else, try to keep this in mind. People will always perform their best when they know what's expected of them. I'm going to show you why setting clear expectations and coaching people to meet them can be a superpower when you're hiring, 
And it also turns out that it's good for candidates too, because it alleviates their stress and anxiety by reducing their ambiguity. It also levels the playing field so that all sorts of people can succeed, not just the ones who look like me. What makes recruiting so hard though? I think it's because it's a core expectation of leadership roles, but it usually doesn't come with strategy, support, or other sorts of scaffolding to make you successful. So it's a missing competency. Almost none of us have a background in it, or we assume it's someone else's job, or no one's trained us on how to do it well, or we simply don't have time for it. So we often end up optimizing for shortcuts, like blast emails, social spam, and other outreach that scales. But if you're building out a team, recruiting should really be your number one job. And that's not meant to disrespect your recruiters, but they're not design leaders like you. So they don't have your domain expertise, your knowledge of the industry, or your familiarity with the people you're trying to reach. And more to the point, your recruiters want you to work with them. Peter Merholtz, co-author of Org Design for Design Orgs, really says it all here. In high-growth organizations, recruiting is the most impactful way to use your time. Hiring new people unlocks teams to solve more problems, add new value to products, and otherwise fuel revenue and growth. And Merholtz goes on to show why managers don't engage in recruiting. You don't have enough designers. And so you lean in to do the work yourself, and that means you have less time to find those new designers. We need to break this vicious cycle. But how? You might be tempted to view recruiting as a sort of marketing exercise. If you spam enough people with LinkedIn DMs, surely some of them will follow up with you and apply for your roles, right? This might make you think it's all just a numbers game which incentivizes you to reach out to as many people as possible. But that's a flawed model. Recruiting isn't a funnel or a numbers game. It doesn't really matter how many emails or DMs you send. If you don't know who you're trying to reach, what matters to them, and what they need to hear from you. So recruiting doesn't equal marketing. But what if it's more like people management instead? As a people manager, you set people up for success instead of failure. You set clear expectations from the start, and you coach them along the way with feedback that helps them grow their skills and improve their performance. So why don't we also do this with candidates for our job roles? Instead, many of us tend to take a hostile, adversarial approach. We make candidates guess about what we care about. But why? Helena So, head of design at DoorDash, points out that design interviewing shouldn't be set up as a test for candidates. As a people manager, you'd never act like an adversary to someone on your team. You'd just be open, straightforward, and direct about what you're looking for from them. So why take a hostile approach with someone who's applying to be on your team? You shouldn't, because people perform their best when they know what's expected of them. We should all stop making candidates guess about what we're looking for and instead start setting them up to succeed instead of to fail. Jared Spool reminds us that the hiring process is a designed experience. Not only that, but it's designed whether you design it intentionally or not. Your candidates can always tell where the gaps are and what's broken. 
So let's look at some examples of companies who are doing amazing work to intentionally design a candidate-centered hiring experience. Here's a content design job post from Doc Planner in Poland. Right from the start, they promised the candidate a seat at the table. And this speaks to a long-standing source of frustration for content designers, which is that they're excluded from product strategy, planning, and other areas of leadership. Doc planners show candidates right away that they understand them. More than that, they've organized themselves to support and elevate these folks. It's so candidate-centered, and I love to see it. Let's look at another example for a product manager role from Who Gives a Crap down in Melbourne. They tell a compelling story about the amazing work you would have done in this role if you were here six months ago. And this paints a clear picture of the types of things that a candidate could expect to find themselves doing on the job. It's brilliant. And here's an engineering job post from Gain Compliance, where they're very open about their technical debt. This sets up candidates to better understand what they're getting into, so there aren't any surprises after they join. Knowing this in advance lets candidates talk about how they've solved for infra problems and tech debt in the past. It may even draw in more talented people who specialize in exactly this sort of scenario. And my instincts tell me that this transparency with candidates also reduces future attrition once folks are actually hired. But it's not just job posts. Smart employers will set expectations with their candidates well before they even apply for a role. For example, by showing their primer design system openly to the public, GitHub helps designers understand what they care about and what it's like to actually design and build product there. It's a great way to help candidates understand what working for them would actually be like. When Mark Johnson at Mixpanel needed to hire designers, he and his team created this public Figma board. You can see how open they are about the role, the company, what their interviews are like, and more. You get to know folks on the team, see what tools they use, even get a sense of what a typical work week looks like. We all know that candidates ask about these sorts of things all the time, so why not tell them proactively, up front? Now, many companies give candidates an overview of their hiring process, but few will tell you about what it takes to succeed once you're working there. When I was at Intercom, I wrote a blog post to answer this question for product design candidates, and we added it to all of our job posts and outreach messages. People who absorb this material perform much better with less time and effort than those who didn't. Being open about your expectations increases equity for folks who don't come from the same background as you, or who don't think or communicate the way that you happen to. But how do you set those expectations? We also made Intercom's job levels public so that everyone can understand what good looks like and how they could advance in their careers at Intercom. This also helps candidates understand what they should focus on as they prep for interviews and portfolio reviews. Publishing the blog post and these job levels had a massive impact in helping underrepresented minorities advance in Intercom's interview process. In the year after we published these, 75% of Intercom's candidates in the final round of interviews came from marginalized groups of people in tech. Publishing these also helped everyone, 
make more informed decisions about whether or not they wanted to join Intercom at all. Not everyone is going to be a good fit in your role or your team, and that's okay. It's better for the candidate, and for you, if you know that in advance. You can save everyone a lot of time and trouble and heartache. But there's more to transparent recruiting than just publishing content. A few years ago, Facebook invited people to join them in an open design critique. This was an opportunity for people to learn from designers working at Facebook. But it was also an opportunity for Facebook to find potential new designers to reach out to with future job opportunities. One of the most important aspects of transparency in recruiting is a policy about being open about pay. When companies are transparent about compensation, it greatly reduces issues of unequal pay, especially for marginalized communities of people. There's a global movement with lots of momentum demanding compensation transparency in job posts. There's also legislation in some U.S. states, Europe, and elsewhere that encourages or requires salary transparency. And here in Australia, the Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill of 2022 tries to close the pay gap by outlawing pay secrecy clauses in employment contracts. But we shouldn't just talk the talk about pay transparency and stop there. Last July, HubSpot implemented pay transparency for all of our roles in the United States. If you go to any of our job posts for positions in the U.S., you can see their annual compensation bans. We're just starting in the U.S., but over time, we're planning to expand this to every country we work in. Transparency is a core value for us, and this is just one of the ways we try to put that value into action. So, let's continue opening up. Remember how I mentioned at the beginning that I had to hire nine content designers and that number quickly grew after I started? I'm going to show you the strategy I developed to approach recruiting them. We started by asking ourselves and our team and some of our newer hires and past candidates four key questions. You may want to ask yourselves these questions as we go through them. First, who are you looking for? You need to understand the people you want to hire in a meaningful way. What are their goals and ambitions? What compels them forward? What do they find inspiring or uplifting? What's the future vision of success that they dream about? And then you need to understand what might be causing them pain. What are their frustrations and barriers to progress in their current role? How do they feel held back or limited? And what's causing them anxiety or friction or even trauma? And then you should take time to interrogate your differentiators and what you have to offer that no one else can. Beyond vague generalities like world-class design or build at scale, what are your specific value props? What about your culture supports people in unique ways? How do you set them up for success and well-being in ways that other companies don't? And finally, taking into account what you've learned from these questions, you should consider what makes your hiring process hard, challenging, and stressful for your candidates. How might you take away all of this friction and just make it easy? So I want to highlight some things we intentionally chose not to do at HubSpot. Here, Monzo asks ambiguous questions as part of their application process. It's hard for an applicant to tell what a good answer looks like with the context given. How should they approach this? What's the criteria for good? This ambiguity doesn't set people up for success. 
If they were working on your team, you wouldn't use unknowable criteria to judge their performance. So why do this with candidates? This isn't a candidate-centric experience. It's employer-centric. Candidates who see in the application stage have to assume that it's the model of how the company will work with them throughout the entire process, as well as after they're hired. And then we come to design exercises. Strap yourselves in for a rough ride. Live whiteboard exercises, like this one, are rife with biases, have unclear success criteria, and put unnecessary pressure on candidates just to see how they handle it. Let's dig in on that bias piece. Live design challenges are biased against introverts, highly sensitive people, people who come from cultures where it's impolite to interrupt or to be interrupted, neurodivergent people, and just so, so many other folks. Jamal Nichols, a staff designer at Kareem, is 100% correct. Many companies use these exercises as a sort of catch-all to evaluate candidate skills. But if you can't determine that from your conversations with them and by reviewing their past work, then I'd argue that you don't really know what you're looking for. You might think that take-home exercises solve these problems, but it turns out that they add entirely new ones. They're biased against people who don't have time for extra work, like parents, caretakers, and people with multiple jobs. And while candidates are often told not to take more than a few hours on these exercises, most people spend much more time than that. And this is unpaid labor. Megan Lee, a product designer at Meta, wisely points out how these exercises often disrupt the people who are most likely to be your strongest candidates. She tells us one surefire way to scare off great designers is to give them take-home exercises. If you can't get a sense of someone's design skills, process, collaboration, values, and leadership after talking with them for several hours, then instead of giving them more work to do, I'd urge you to improve the quality of the conversations you are already having with them, or at the very least, compensate them for their time. Okay, rant over. So, Asking the four questions I showed you earlier led us at HubSpot to create two strategic pillars. The first was to show people that we understand them. We did this by always centering the candidate in our messages, always focusing on you instead of on we or us. And we also tried to address their pain points and frustrations, showing how they'd be set up for more growth and success with us. Our second pillar was to always default to being open. Instead of hiding our expectations, we led with transparency and clarity about what good looks like to us. We took away the guessing game so that we could help more candidates succeed. So let's look at a few outputs of the strategy so you can see how we actually did all of this. We'll start with a few key things we did in our job posts for our content design roles. First, we say from the start what content design means to us. It's all about UX and product. It's not content marketing and it's not long form writing. Many candidates told us that this gave them confidence they were applying for the right role. And then we acknowledged that they might use different titles than we do, and we reassure them that that's okay. And this is important because in the industry, content design titles are all a hot mess. 
What's the difference between a content designer, a content strategist, an information architect, and a UX writer? Most people don't know, or they have conflicting opinions. And so we shouldn't turn someone away just because they use a different title than the one we happen to. And instead of talking about how diversity is important to us in a generic or vague way, we take a moment to engage in some real talk. Here, we show that we know that people struggle with imposter syndrome and lack confidence, especially if they don't check all the boxes, come from backgrounds that aren't thought of as being standard, or if they've been excluded in the past because they don't look like me. As part of our application process, we also ask candidates to show us samples of their work, and we know from talking with them that this makes candidates feel nervous and vulnerable. So I wrote this public blog post that shows people exactly what we look for in these work samples, why those things matter to us, and how to pass the review with flying colors. This creates far more equity for candidates because it levels the playing field, helping everyone start from the same point. It reduces bias toward people who already think and communicate like we do, and it sets people up for success instead of for failure. The goal of this post was to remove barriers to people by making it as easy as possible to create a clear portfolio that would pass our review. This provides information equity so that candidates don't have to read our minds. Putting together work samples is still really, really hard. But what we do here is take away the guessing game, so it makes everything faster and easier for the people applying for our roles. A key way we did that was to link off to several portfolios that we thought were good. Beyond setting expectations for candidates, this also helped us highlight a number of great folks from diverse backgrounds working all over the world. We also show candidates the specific questions we ask whenever we look at design work. And this was intended to help them think through the kinds of stories they should tell about their designs, how they made decisions, why their choices were good or effective, how they measured their impact, and so on. When candidates are in our interview process, we set them up for success by actively coaching them and sharing prep guides like the one you see here. By reviewing this prep guide prior to their interview, candidates pre can prepare far more easily with far less stress. So we set them up to do their best. But this transparency doesn't just stop with me or with content that we publish. We also did an open Ask Us Anything event featuring content designers from the team. Over 400 people watched this live, and more than a thousand have watched the recording or read the transcript. I'm so grateful to Dane Tupkin, Catherine Carr, and Natalie Rohrer from HubSpot for being so brave, open, and straightforward with their answers to people's questions. Here's one of the many questions people asked, and it's on a challenging subject, mental health and imposter syndrome. And rather than give a vague or general answer, here you can see that Catherine Carr leads off by showing how this is something she struggles with herself. She's just so real. And it shows people that we get them. And by being open about our own struggles, we validate other people, help them feel seen, and earn their trust. Okay, so maybe this all looks good in a slide deck, but did it actually work? I'll let you be the judge. 
And do you remember how we started off this talk with a cold open and a bunch of really big numbers? We're going to take that same approach here. We earned over a thousand organic applications for our content design roles. None of these were sourced through direct outreach, bought from lists, or contacted by spam. And I didn't have an army of recruiters or a big ads budget. These organic applications were driven just by me and my one recruiting partner. We did this during a period when candidates had more opportunities open to them than ever before. And we had more competition from other companies who also wanted to hire these same people. But they applied to us because we showed them up front, before they even talked with us, that we understood them, and we made it easy, and we defaulted to being open. We conducted over 200 interviews with incredibly talented people. I wish I could have hired all of them. But because we earned their trust and built strong relationships with them from the start, they felt empowered to give us feedback along the way and help us improve our process. So as we coached them and set them up for success, they reciprocated and helped us get better too. Our transparency and their generosity is what made ongoing process improvement possible for us. Ultimately, we hired 16 content designers in just five months. That's more than one person hired every two weeks, all driven by me and one recruiter. This is what hiring at scale looks like. These designers are now creating value across our entire product org and solving our customers' problems. And it's all because we invested the time to design their hiring experience and approach them like managers instead of like marketers. We also developed hundreds of new long-term relationships with people all over the world doing work that we admire. We'll come back to them in the future as they develop and as we continue to open more roles. So, to sum up, here are the key practices that make up our approach to transparent recruiting. Listen, this ain't rocket science. These are simple ideas, but they will transform the way you work with candidates to set them up for success, speed up your hiring, and build a stronger employment brand for the future. And the people you hire this way will stay with you longer and grow further, higher, and faster in their careers, all while growing your business. Why? Because people will always perform their best when they know what's expected of them. And that's how you do transparent recruiting, a new approach to being radically open with candidates to support their success. I'm Jonathan Coleman from HubSpot, and I can't wait to hear about how you apply these ideas to your own recruiting practices. So please share them with me at jcoleman on Twitter or LinkedIn. And again, you can get these slides and nearly 40 related resources all at transparentrecruiting.com. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the rest of Design Leadership 2022. Next up, you'll get to hear from Michelle Cabanella, a Senior Executive Director with ThinkPlace right here in Sydney. She'll be talking with you about how to build and scale empowered and engaged teams. Thank you so much again.